Chapter Thirteen of The Heron Nest by W. Bird Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Thirteen: The Bolt from the Cloud. As the season advanced, their labor did not decrease, and this was perhaps a very good thing for the trio of young folks. Idleness would surely have bred trouble for them, for Jack was moody. Pearl Mary sometimes showed strange irritability, and there was a serious cast to Billy's countenance most of the time that had not been his wonted expression. And yet the burden of material responsibility was lighter for them all. Their venture seemed to be working out in a most satisfactory manner. Some little addition to the income along in July came from the small fruits in the old garden. Mr. Darnell had originally set out some fine raspberries, blackberries, and currants, and they sold more than ten dollars' worth in the village. The peach trees were heavily laden with fruit, too. In July, Billy showed his brother how to prune these fruit trees. "'You can prune shade trees all the year around,' said the crippled boy. But if you cut back fruit trees in the fall or early spring, the tree is likely to make more wood than fruit. After the June fall, as it is called, one can see how the peach crop promises, and cut accordingly. And thinning out the fruit-bearing branches, and plucking the fruit that touch each other, will do what the pinching-back process does for our tomatoes. The peaches will be larger, and will ripen more evenly. Particularly did they cut back the tops of the trees, for almost always the September gales break down peach trees that are not headed low. Billy propped up the heavily laden branches with poles, and from time to time picked off all the speckled fruit he saw. Fortunately, the San Jose scale had not reached these trees, and the fruit was healthy. August proved very dry, and this fact hastened the ripening of the onions. That crop would have been more abundant, and the onions themselves would have been larger and finer, had more rain fallen. But when Billy saw that a good half of the tops were withered, he said it would not do to risk waiting any longer. The onions must be harvested at once. Get them out now, sell them for what they will bring, and then sow turnips. That is our best course, he declared. If we let them stand much longer, those that have already matured will sprout again, and we shall have another field of scallions. So Jack and his father dug the onions. The long windrows were allowed to lie for two or three days in the sun, and then were carried off the field in baskets and thoroughly dried on the hotbed sash before being sorted, measured, and sacked for market. Meanwhile, Jack and Mr. Heron forked over the big patch again. Billy bought some turnip seed, and they sowed it broadcast. We'll get a few bushels of matured turnips, unless frost comes early, and every little helps, quote Billy. As for the onions, they sent one hundred bushel of first-quality white onions to the commission merchant in town, and one hundred bushel of red, and fifty bushel of yellow onions. The merchant lent them the bags, and after the transportation charges and his commission were paid, the white onions netted the herons eighty-five cents a bushel, and the red and yellow onions fifty cents. These were extremely low prices, for both the merchant and the railroad company took advantage of their need. However, 
Billy and Jack were vastly encouraged. The sum cleared was $160, and to that they added sixty-seven fifty for scallions, sold some second-quality onions for $12 more, and saved beside enough for their own use for the winter, and a bushel and a half of button onions for sets for the next season. When the check for the onions came in, the three young people held a jollification. They crowed delightedly over the sum of their income thus far as set forth in Billy's ledger, and it interested them so much, perhaps a recapitulation of it may interest the reader. For clearing out cellars, etc., $60. Ten days' work for Sowersby, $7.50. 600 fence posts, $30.00. Tomato and summer cabbage plants, $46. 16 broilers, $8.17. Tomatoes and other vegetables, $14.30. Small fruits, $11.10. Onions, $239.50. And the total is $416.57. Beside this, their table for two months had been almost wholly supplied from the garden. A piece of meat or some fish, twice a week, and their dry groceries were all that they had been obliged to buy. Of course, up to the time they received the check for the onions, they had barely paid expenses with what money had come in, and the household and its six members needed many things. They could have spent the entire check in needed articles, without buying a single luxury, but as they had got along so far with little it was voted to wait until fall at least before making any heavy expenditures a hundred dollars was put into the village bank in billy's name then the handsome private carriage stopped at the gateway of darnell villa again pearl mary screamed dropped the dishcloth and ran out of the house for she had seen mr van coe and another man getting out of the vehicle her anxiety led her to approach within earshot of the two gentlemen, and she heard the pompous man say, I've seen Darnell's plans. The house doesn't suit me and my daughter, but the layout of the cellar is all right. Huh? Hello, sissy. What do you want? He had turned and found Pearl Mary almost at his elbow. The girl's anxiety broke down her timidity, and she cried, Oh, sir, have you bought this place? What's that to you? returned the man disagreeably. But I have, and I had to take it with the encumbrance of you squatters on it until the end of the year. That's because of Menden's quixotic foolishness. Oh, I shall stick to my bond, but on New Year's Day, off you go. Make no mistake about that, miss. The very harshness of Van Coe helped the girl to restrain her tears. Perhaps she had worried, in secret, over the threatened catastrophe for so long that there was some measure of relief to her mind and heart now that the blow had really fallen she knew she could obtain no satisfaction for mr van coe indeed she could not talk with him at all and what was there to be said he had bought the place and must suffer the encumbrance of the herons on it for some months and was not likely to feel kindly disposed toward them all they had done for their own improvement at rack and ruin villa must go for naught they had had their trouble for their pains. These were Pearl Mary's thoughts. Her attitude was one of serious hopelessness, 
when she slowly sought the two boys and told them the news. After all, she was forced to break it to them abruptly. There was no time now to prepare them for the blow, which she had been expecting for weeks. Mr. Menden sold the place, and we're going to be turned out the first of the year. Whatever shall we do, boys? she demanded. Both of them stared at her for a moment, without speaking. Even Billy was stricken dumb, and it was Jack who first expressed his feelings. He flung down the hoe he was using, and by so doing, broke off a thrifty cabbage plant in the row, while he exclaimed, "'What's the use for us to try to do anything? We're fated to be followed by bad luck. We no more get ahead a foot when we slip back a yard.' Billy had been on his knees. He did not rise at first, but looked up at his brother and Promary, and a little smile began to wrinkle his eyes. "'And so, in addition to this that Mary has told us, Jack must destroy a perfectly good cabbage. That's at least five cents thrown away, Jackie. I'm surprised at you.' "'Oh, thunder, Billy! This is nothing to choke about,' growled the big fellow. "'Don't you hear what Mary says? We're turned out. I might have expected it. It was too good to last.' Even Pearl Mary herself was vexed with Billy for apparently making light of the situation, and when he saw her grave face and how Jack was looking at him too, Billy became instantly serious. He sat back upon his haunches and demanded, "'Will you tell me what earthly good it will do for us to cry about it?' "'But see what we've done here!' cried Jack. "'It's all gone for nothing!' "'That is childish.' declared his brother sternly. "'I think Mr. Menden is just mean,' said Pearl Mary. "'And you are ungrateful,' was Billy's comment. "'Come, to paraphrase some famous general, all is not lost while honor remains, and in our case all is not lost while hope remains, and we can still have oceans of hope.' "'Ah, Billy!' began Jack, in disgust. "'Hold on,' returned his brother. "'I admit the setback, but we have lost little here. It has been a start for us. Everything we have done has been self-educating, at least, if nothing more. Don't repine. Mr. Menden, it seems, has fixed it for us so that we are not turned out immediately. We will get the whole of our harvest, and between this and New Year's, there will certainly be time for us to find some place that we can get on more certain terms than we obtained Rack and Ruin Villa. I wouldn't destroy any more cabbages, Jack. We'll be here long enough to see them head up at least. And his laugh, as he finally scrambled to his feet, was as cheery as ever. Now I'll drop everything and go to town. I'll see Mr. Menden first and make sure just what our rights are in the premises. When we know quite where we stand, we shall be better able to plan for the future. They let him go, ashamed of their own railings at fortune. Yet neither Jack nor Pearl Mary were so constituted that they could ignore trouble as Billy seemed to do. They could not successfully hide the fact that they were disturbed from Granny and Aunt Nanny, and even Mr. Heron noticed their changed looks and reflected them in some measure although Jack and the girl did not reveal the nature of the setback to their fortunes. They waited with feverish impatience for Billy's return from town. 
the supper hour lacked his cheerful presence. The evening dragged on, and still he did not come. It was a lovely night, and the whole family had been in the habit of late of setting out before the little cottage, sometimes until ten o'clock, enjoying to the full the cool of the day. Billy's stories and jokes kept them all amused. Tonight there were long silences. Granny nodded in her low rocker, and Jack left the group altogether and paced the driveway alone, his nervousness increasing as his brother's return was delayed. Pearl Mary stole down to him at last and walked with him as the long moments dragged by. They scarcely spoke to each other. Only a word or two, now and then, in a whisper about Billy's delay, or about the new difficulties that had been raised by their discovery of the change which threatened. Jack did not dare offer her his arm, but there was something sacred to the big fellow in the mere presence of Pearl Mary beside him there. There was a moon, and its faint light revealed to him, now and then as they passed out from under the shadow of the trees, the girl's face and profile. There was a delicacy of feature and a sweetness in the expression of Pearl Mary's countenance that would have charmed an ordinary observer. On Jack they made an almost overpowering impression. His gaze remained fastened upon the unconscious girl. His breath half stifled him as he drew it. His boyish heart was filled with that worship of the object loved which is an attribute only of youth and the unspoiled. And yet his tongue was tied. He clenched his hands at his sides and walked within touch of her, his desire unspoken, his whole soul afire. Surely Billy's love for her could be no greater than his own. Yet he loved his brother, too. In honor, he could do nothing, say nothing, that would seem disloyal. Billy's better right to the girl's affections Jack never for a moment doubted. Nor did the big fellow suspect that Pearl Mary's heart was not already fixed upon he whom she had called the good angel of their bad luck. How could she fail to choose Billy, not only in preference to him, but to any other fellow? Suddenly, in a patch of moonlight some rods down the road, the limping figure of he whom they waited for appeared. Pearl Mary uttered a joyful cry and fluttered out of the gateway to meet him. But Jack stood beside the granite post, and fought down his passion that he might greet his brother calmly. Billy and the girl came into the grounds, and Jack put up the chains in silence. "'Wait here,' commanded Pearl Mary. "'We must not go up to the house until you tell us all about it.' "'Is it true?' was Jack's direct question. "'Now, now,' said Billy, casting himself upon the springy sod with a sigh of weariness. It had been a hot day in town, and that, together with what he had to tell them, had taken the tuck out of him. It is partly true. Jack interrupted with a somewhat bitter laugh. <laughs> dear, dear, this is another rift in the cloud. Billy always sees hope ahead. I believe it's as bad as can be. It isn't, denied Billy, with some relief. I do see a rift in the cloud, and more than that, there is a great chance offered us. Mr. Mendon has not sold the whole place. This Mr. Van Coe has bought only twenty-eight acres of the Darnell farm. That leaves more than twenty acres on Mr. Mendon's hands. What part? gasped Pearl Mary. 
Of course, Van Coe has purchased the front estate. All this about here. And he waved his stick, his gesture taking in the lawns, their garden, and the immediate neighborhood. But we lose our home. Unfortunately, we do, admitted Billy. What did I tell you? muttered Jack. But wait till I tell you what Mr. Menden says, urged his brother. These twenty-odd acres left are, of course, up in the mountain, all the back part of the farm. There is a strip running parallel to and bordering on the old Northville Road. The projected trolley to Bathersport will be laid on that pike within the next ten years, that's sure. Mr. Menden proposes to hold that strip, say, two hundred feet deep, for a rise in value. That will leave about sixteen acres, and those sixteen acres, children, he gives us a chance to buy. Buy? shouted Jack. However can we buy sixteen acres of land, Billy? demanded Pearl Mary. We wouldn't dare use the money in the bank to pay down on it. How could we live this winter if we did? Listen to me, said the cripple, seriously. Remember that I have given Mr. Menden no answer. He means kindly by us, that is sure. It's waste ground, declared Jack gloomily. He'd never sell it in the world. Don't say that, Jack. Let us look at the proposition from all sides. In the first place, I will tell you the particulars of his offer. Then we can discuss it afterward. Call it sixteen acres clear. He values it at sixteen hundred dollars, a hundred dollars an acre, and we are not to pay a cent down, saving the legal dollar to bind the bargain. We are to have five years in which to pay one thousand dollars, and the remaining six hundred dollars he will carry on mortgage as long as we wish. He charges no interest on the thousand. He will give us the posts Jack has cut for the fencing and furnish all the wire if we will do the work, stretching the wire between Mr. Van Coe's, Mr. Short's, Sowersby's, the Northfield Road Strip, and our land. Hear him, groaned Jack. He speaks already of our land. Billy actually blushed and hung his head, but Pearl Mary instantly took up the cudgels for him. Why, I think it's fine, if we can do it, she declared. Glad you put in that if, said the big fellow, bitterly. Do you two realize what it means? In the first place, the back of this farm is mostly rocks and trees. It would take years to clear it at all, and then some of the slopes are so steep that the rains would wash the crops out of the ground. It's only the roots of the trees and brush up there that keep the whole surface of the mountainside from washing down into the valley. And how will we build a house, even if we have five years to pay the first thousand dollars? Hold on, it will be more than that. We've got to pay interest on six hundred dollars all that time, too, haven't we, Billy? Yes, admitted the cripple. That's thirty-six dollars every year then eleven hundred eighty dollars to pay to mendon in five years and even then we won't have cleared the place we'll still owe six hundred dollars on it and that's every cent it's worth i shouldn't wonder he added gloomily how can you say so jack cried billy 
finally stung to indignation. I'm not so foolish as to want to saddle this family with a debt and a useless piece of land. There are a lot of things to think of. There is almost timber enough on the place to pay the $600 mortgage. You remember the fine logs that are lying up there in the cove, the ones Sowersby cut? There's enough of them to build a mighty nice house. A log cabin, ejaculated Jack. A fine, warm, and well-built bungalow, returned Billy. Mr. Menden showed me the plans of one and told me how it can be built at a small cost. You and father can square the timbers and all the help we'll have to hire will be to raise the walls. We can clear a good many roots and stumps out of that cove this winter. The soil is the finest I ever saw. Talk about this soil down here being rich. Why, that in the cove is far superior to it. And the water power, you haven't taken that into consideration. We could set up a portable mill there on the creek bank and saw all the timber we could cut into planks and shingles. And how would you get it out to market? cried Jack. Where's your road? Darnell owned a right-of-way through Sowersby's place, that old wood road. Mr. Menden says that right will belong to us, and Mr. Menden himself will give us a right-of-way out onto the Northfield Pike. Jack! Jack! Whether we can do this thing or not, it's a great chance. Think what we have accomplished since last winter. If we have got on our feet where we had merely squatter's rights, how much better should we do when we know we're working to own our home? Think of it. The herons have a chance to be independent again. His voice broke and his tears choked him. Pearl Mary threw her arms about his neck and through her own tears cried to Jack. Jackie, I'm convinced. I don't want any more discussion. Why should we fear? Who's been the good angel of our bad luck? Right along. Billy knows. He always does know. Jack figuratively and actually threw up his hands. I haven't anything more to say, he admitted. It's a big contract. But if Billy says we can do it, I'm willing to hump myself all I know. I'm not afraid of the work, and I admit that that hollow up there on the mountainside is a fine bit of ground. There's more than two acres of it, and there are other tillable spots. But you're not particularly enthusiastic about it, Billy gurgled. There, I'm a chump. I want to sleep over it. Mr. Menden talked so persuasively to me that perhaps I've been convinced against what should be my better judgment. Let's wait before we decide. End of chapter 13